First Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. We, we look at a passage like this, and it is just so evident of a God who never changes and a God who has a plan. And the plan that our Lord has is to redeem a people for himself, to bring glory and honor to his name, to cause us to see him as the God for who he is. We, we're going to look this morning at part of this plan, specifically in the time of the Passover. But it's, it's possible for us to, to look at these things and to, to see the story of these plagues that came upon the Egyptians. When you look at these plagues, and there's plagues of, of water turning to, to blood, and these frogs, and lice, and flies, and livestock that is killed, and boils, and Hail and locusts and darkness covering the earth. And then in the tenth plague, the time that we look at as far as the Passover is concerned, is this, this executioner, this angel that goes over all of, of Egypt. And in every household, kills the firstborn child. Firstborn animal but specifically looking at this, the firstborn child in every household and cries that go out over all the land in such a way that has never been heard before. And we see that apart from God's people, apart from them, there was not one household in which there was not at least one that was dead. And it's possible for us to read something like that and think, I don't like that too much. Um, I don't. Why would he kill the kids? Why the firstborn in each household? And it's possible for us to come from a place like that and think, I, I kind of wish he hadn't done that. And I pray that this morning we would be able to look at this and and see that if, if our understanding goes in that direction, we, we probably are failing to think properly about the holiness of God. Um, a God who is holy. At the same time, fail to, to look at the justice of God and what that requires of us. 
You think of the God who has created everything, and, and he is a God who is perfectly holy. He cannot be a part of sin whatsoever. Um, you, you, you can't just come into, into eternity with him and, and to be able to approach him with, with a single sin that you have committed. We look and we see through Scripture just incredible pictures of a God who pours wrath upon sin. The wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. And you go through Scripture and you start to look at the wrath of God. Let me review just, just some aspects of it to us this morning. In Hebrews 10... God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Verse 30, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And I know that, that, that there's a lot of people that would look at God and they don't ever want to think of him that way. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Or in Matthew 3, verse 12, it says, The winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Or in Matthew 8, he refers to the sons being cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, in Matthew 22, the king says to his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him in outer darkness. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Revelation 19 and verse 15, it says, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword and with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And this is just God describing himself, looking and telling us this is what is going to happen. And what is going to be revealed is the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. You hear Jonathan Edwards and sinners in the hands of an angry God say, it would be bad enough if it just said the wrath of God. But the Holy Spirit inspires him specifically to say, the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God fierceness of an all-powerful God and his wrath that comes upon. Again, in Matthew 13, we see that there's these tares that are gathered together and they're burned in the fires, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and he'll cast them into the furnace of fire and they'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so you find this in scripture. Listen, if, there's, if you have an ear to hear this morning, listen to this. And, and the point is, is, this is what it is going to be like. This is what the wrath of God is going to be like. In Jude 1.13, it talks about the duration of that wrath. Raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame, wandering stars from 
for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. The blackness of darkness forever. Matthew 25, 41. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 46. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Once again, reference to the duration of God's wrath. And a flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Everlasting destruction. Revelation 20 verse 10, The devil who deceived them will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And you look at this, it goes over and over again, all throughout Scripture. I'll stop there, but talking about the magnitude of God's wrath and the duration of God's wrath. And the reason for that wrath is sin. And so you, you, you could picture there at the Passover... You can picture what's taking place there. And there, there has been nine plagues that have come upon the Egyptians. God's people have watched this happen. The Egyptians have seen these plagues. Water turning to blood and, and, and frogs covering everything. And lice and flies and all the livestock killed. And boils and hail and locusts and darkness. And now you can picture families gathering together in their homes. And... You can picture families talking and saying, they're saying that unless there's blood that's placed there on the doorpost of our home, the firstborn in every, in every household will be, will be killed. Um, and I could picture just families, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Looking at it and, and, and seeing at the, at the same time God's people there. And you watch this process of, of what's taking place and seeing, seeing the, the, the father saying, okay, we got to find a lamb. We have to find a lamb. We have, we have to get a lamb. And it has to be a perfect one. It has to be one that doesn't have any blemish at all. That's what God said. God said that the lamb, that the lamb has to be perfect. Um, he says in, in, in Leviticus 22, and, and whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, f- fulfill his vow or a free will offering from the cattle or sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar of the Lord. The details that are given, it can't have a scab on it. It can't have a little blemish in the skin. It can't have any kind of disease. It can't be blind. It can't have any kind of broken bone. It can't have anything that's wrong with it. It has to be the firstborn. 
And it, it has to be perfect. We gotta find a perfect lamb without spot, without blemish, without anything that's wrong with it. And that's the one that we're gonna kill. That's the one we're, we're going to kill, and, and this is how we're going to kill it. And the blood is going to be caught here, and we're going to take some of that blood, and then we're going to put it on the doorpost. And when God has the executioner come over the land of Egypt, we will be safe in our home. And, and you can picture all of this taking place to where... They're sitting in their homes, and from house to house, you just hear people screaming and crying out as a child is being killed in every single home. The wrath of God that is coming upon these people. And them sitting there and just thinking, okay. Here's my brother. He's still okay. There's cries that are coming out all over the place, but he's still, he's still okay. And home after home in which the blood has been placed upon the doorpost, home after home, every one of them is still okay. In this process, I could just picture, I mean, just the, the tension that is there probably just as quiet as can be in those homes just waiting. There's no laughter that's taking place. There's no playing games. There's, there's no just chatting about what's taking place that day. They are just there, and they are waiting, and they are listening, and they're hearing everything else that's going on throughout the city. But they saw Dad go out and put the blood there on the doorpost. And you think of all of this, the, the ten plagues that came, I mean, just brutal plagues, one after another and after another and after another and after another. All of these plagues that have come to pass where more than likely if we saw water turn to blood, we, we would just think, okay, that's it, we give up. Go, take your people, go, go, we're done. Um, frogs everywhere, in the stove, in our bed, everywhere. Most people... We don't want that. We don't want frogs dying every place and smelling like just terrible everywhere. There's a true story about me being just a little boy coming home saying, knocking on the door. My mom answers and I go, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kevin, what's in your mouth? I open my mouth and a big frog jumps out. And to think now, like when I pick up a frog, what it does in panic, that could not have been good for me whatsoever. But to think of frogs everywhere... Lice, lice. I, I remember going to be tested in elementary school to see if we had lice. And I, I prayed so hard on those days. There was always the kid that never came back. You know, you might have been him. Yeah. 
It was never me by the grace of God, but I, it was a result of prayer. God, please don't let me be that kid. I don't want to be that kid that never comes back. Everybody will know I am unclean, unclean, you know. <laughs> Flies, all the livestock killed, boils, boils, covering them. Hail, destroying everything. Locusts, eating everything. Darkness, covering the earth. You, you would think that it would have been enough. Fine, take your people, go. But there was a hardness of heart that was there in the Pharaoh. Maybe God gave him a hardness of heart. He hardened Pharaoh's heart, Scripture tells us. And it was for a reason. It was for a reason that, that in the 10th plague... Prior to God's people being told, go, leave, take here, here's gold, here's silver, take these things, leave. Prior to that taking place, that there would be this death angel, this destroyer, this executioner that would go over and and kill the firstborn in every home that did not have the blood on the doorpost. Every home in which they had not taken a lamb that was without spot or blemish, a perfect lamb, and killed it and taken that blood and placed it on the doorpost. And there's a reason why these things happen, so that when we would read a passage like 1 Peter chapter 1 in this particular section, that we would see that God truly does judge everyone. Not only that, but that we'd see him one in which we would desire to conduct ourselves through the time of our stay here in fear, in reverence. It's part of why we named our church that, in reverence. That we would, we would hear about the Lord our God and the way that we would hear about him would not make us come to a place as believers as far as he's my buddy. But that we would have such an awesome view of God and his holiness in his power, in his sovereignty, in his love, in his grace, that we would be those that desire just to conduct ourselves here with reverence and godly fear, just adoring him, but revering him, and wanting to live in such a way that just honors him. That we'd read passage like, passages like this and, and say we weren't redeemed with corruptible things. I, I didn't get purchased by gold. I didn't get purchased by silver. I didn't get purchased by something like that. But I was purchased by the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of of Christ. I pray that the way that we would see him, specifically looking back in Exodus here at the Passover, that what would take place within our hearts is that his blood is precious. It's the precious, precious blood of Christ. Surely in those homes when that blood was placed there on the doorpost, and they were sitting in that house and they were quiet and they were waiting and they could hear the shrieks taking place, the groaning, the cries all over that land. They were sitting there and just thinking, okay, there's the blood on the doorpost. 
there's the blood at the doorpost. God says when he passes over and when he sees the blood there to pass over that particular house and just looking at it and hearing all that and seeing that nothing is happening and that they're home and they're safe and they're okay and just looking and saying, the precious blood, that precious blood, the precious blood is making it so that my brother is safe. The firstborn in this house, my child is safe. We are okay because there has been blood that has been post placed on those doorposts and we're okay it's precious to us the next morning when they're there and there's still cries that are taking place all over the place and God is having his people leave and go towards that promised land that they're there and just in the precious blood of Christ it's precious to us and that we would see the wrath of God and understand that it's so much more than just the firstborn in a household that's been put to death. But the difference is, is that it's eternity. In a place of blackest darkness forever where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Everlasting fire. Being separated from the glory of God. Being enemies of God in eternity in hell. To think that that is what we have been rescued. And it wasn't by gold and it wasn't by silver. And it wasn't the blood of bulls and it wasn't the blood of goats. Or it wasn't the blood of a lamb. But it was the precious blood of Christ that was poured out for us. So that when we, God's people, are there and he passes over us. He looks and he sees that. The price has been paid for us. The price has been paid. There's, there's nothing more that we could do. The reason why the angel would pass over those particular homes is because the blood had already been shed on those homes. The guilty were okay because every demand that justice required was satisfied. Every demand that justice required was satisfied. Every claim for holiness was fully and completely met. Look in. Incredible when you begin to think of what was taking place. For us, he passes over us. He passes over us because the blood has already been shed. We'll look at that more in a few minutes. And so we have a lamb. And when we read this passage, we see that there's this precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. A perfect lamb without blemish. We look in, in, in scripture and you, you, you see this. I mean, it's just so evident. In Isaiah 53, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of. Of us all. Every one of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lamb, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity 
of us all. I mean, written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And so you look at this, and way back there in Isaiah, there's this picture of a lamb. A lamb that was to come. Talking about the Messiah who is going to be crucified. And it goes through, and he's just... The Lord laid on him, the lamb, the iniquity of us all. He opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And you look at this, and you find John there, where John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, and his response there at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, he's, Christ is coming, and John sees him coming, and his his statement that comes forth for everybody to hear is behold behold look you guys the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world the lamb all of their minds going back to sacrifices a perfect lamb without spot or without blemish all of their minds going back to the exodus this lamb that's killed it doesn't have a spot it doesn't have a blemish the blood is being shed the blood is placed upon the door what do you mean john the lamb the lamb he's coming he's coming and he takes away the sins of the world He had to be without spot. He had to be without blemish. Christ, our Passover lamb, as we see him called in Corinthians, had to be without spot, without blemish. He had to be perfect, without sin. Just as a lamb would be chosen four days in advance of the Passover, so they could test and make sure that it was without blemish, we also find Jesus there. John announcing, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But also, Jesus coming for that time when he's going down on Palm Sunday. An incredible picture. I, I don't know whether everybody here is believers or not, but the, the, Palm Sunday is incredibly significant to us. Reason being, well, several reasons, but let me just give you one. Is it, it was pointed ahead of time in the book of Daniel, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before this ever took place, that there would be 69 weeks in the 70th week, and that at that time, Daniel tells us in Daniel chapter 9, that there would be one that would come, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Be one that would come to bring in everlasting righteousness. And then he gives weeks that this will take place, meaning periods of time. It would be this much period, this many periods of time. And when you look at the periods of time in which it was talking about, he says it would happen from the time that the command would come to restore and to rebuild in Jerusalem from Artaxerxes on March 14th of 445 B.C., according to Nehemiah 
chapter 2, verse 1, that that would be the start and that this many weeks would take place. And when you do the math, you look at it and, and as you look at all the days and you, you, you take it together as far as the calendar was concerned and what each of those weeks would have been, it brings you to a, to a place of, of 173,880 days or 69 seven-year periods. And so all of that the prophecy was given in such a way as to the day, to the day, it was April 6, 32 A.D., in which Jesus came there on Palm Sunday to bring about everlasting righteousness to the day, to the day. You do a study on it, I, I, I preached a sermon on it a couple of Palm Sundays ago. But it's to the day that he was going to come. To the very day. And he came on that day. And he came and there would have been all of these lambs that would be taken at the same time to see, are they perfect? Are they without blemish? Let's bring them to the priest. Is it okay for us to use this particular lamb for the Passover? And here Jesus is on a colt on the foal of a donkey, just as it had been prophesied before that he is going, and they're waving palm branches, and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And they're going, and he's going up there to Jerusalem, and, and he is going to be, be tried and be brought before Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate is, is going to say things like, I find no fault with him. Innocent blood. I wash my hands, but I find no fault in him at all. But all of this is to show that he is a perfect lamb without spot or without blemish. There, brought before. He had to be without spot and blemish. Galatians 4, verse 4 says, And when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. He had to be under the law so that we could see that he is without sin, and he fulfilled all righteousness. He was totally perfect in all his ways, that he was a lamb without spot or without blemish. He was born of the Virgin Mary, begotten of the Holy Ghost, so that he didn't have the sinful nature passed down to him through the Father, which all of us have, but rather he'd be born of a virgin so he wouldn't have that sinful nature so that he would be righteous and be tempted in all things and yet without sin and fulfill all righteousness. And that's what took place. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The one who knew no sin, he made to be sin for us. That lamb, that spotless lamb, was made sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Just as it was prophesied, righteousness given to us. You look in all of the pictures of what was taking place at the Passover was fulfilled in Christ. To take place there, Exodus 12, verse 6 says, Now you shall keep it 
this lamb until the 14th day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So here the lamb is to come and it's to be there for four days. And then on the 14th day of the same month there of, of Nisan, you are to take it. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. The whole assembly. This is what is to take place at Passover. Take all the people, the whole assembly of those people and kill them. And the Passover lamb, there Christ, between two evenings he was to be crucified, was sacrificed on the same day in which Christ was crucified. I mean, to the day in which he was to be put to death. And when Jesus is there and saying, the time is not yet, the time is not yet, the time is not yet. When he tells his disciples, watch and pray. Could you not watch and pray for one hour? Watch and pray. When he's sweating drops of blood because of his time there in the Garden of Gethsemane and and the anguish of knowing all of the sin in the world was going to be placed upon him, there was a reason, and it was because all things were going to be fulfilled in which God had said was going to happen, and it was going to be on that day in which Christ, our Passover lamb, would be crucified. We're told that the whole assembly was there together to kill him, the congregation of, of Israel, the whole assembly. And you look in Mark chapter 15, and you, you see that, that it's a custom for them to release one prisoner at that particular time. And, and there it is that they're saying, should we release to you Barabbas? And, and the chief priests are there, and they're stirring up the crowd, all of the crowd, all of the people. And Pilate answers and says to them, well, what then do you want me to do with him who is called king of the Jews? And so they cry out again, crucify him. And the Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus, and after they had scourged him, to be crucified. You have the entire congregation there together. Just as the entire congregation was to be there to kill the lamb, likewise, the entire congregation is there to kill the Passover lamb who is Christ. And together they're saying, crucify him. All of them together, crucify him. God gave specific details there in Exodus during the Passover, pointing ahead to Christ who was to come, knowing that the whole congregation was supposed to be there for that particular day of Passover, and likewise, all of Israel would be there, knowing that they all together would be there saying, crucify him, give us Barabbas, crucify Christ, crucify him. We look and... see every part of it being fulfilled. In Exodus 12, 23, it says, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into the houses to strike you. The angel passed through Egypt as the executioner would pass over the houses where the blood was found. Why? Because death had already done its work within those families. The innocent substitute had died in the place of the guilty. Just as Christ died for us. 
the, the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ, that means that when God's wrath is placed upon all of mankind, which I assure you it will be. I mean, just as surely as, as he came down on Palm Sunday on that exact day that was prophesied in the book of Daniel, just as surely as, as all of the details were given as far as he'd ride in on a colt on the foal of a donkey, he'd be crucified, and this is what would happen, and they would cast lots for his clothing, and all these things would take place. He'd be pierced, and they would look upon him. All these prophecies that were given, he would die there with the criminals. He'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. All the details that are given, even to the point of he would die, and then three days later he would rise again. All of the prophecies that were given and everything that came about, we, we look at it and as surely as you can see that God's word is always fulfilled. Likewise, you could be assured that God's wrath will come upon all mankind with the exception of those who have been covered with the precious blood of Christ. And you look at it, and what if one of those families would have said, oh, man, I'm not going to do that. Well, I'm not going to put blood on the doorpost. I'm not going to do that. Why would I do that? That particular household assuredly would have lost their firstborn on that day. But God's people in faith heard the word of God and said, let's take a lamb, let's take a perfect lamb, let's take a spotless lamb without any kind of blemish. Let's kill it and we'll take the blood and we're going to put some blood on the doorpost. We're going to do exactly what God said. Let's do it. Let's put blood on the doorpost. So that when God comes, we're safe. I just want to be safe. Likewise, for us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. There's no other way to get to heaven but through Christ. There's no other name in which anybody could ever be saved but through Christ. The precious blood of Christ. How are we saved? By faith in him. In the same way in which they put the blood on the doorpost and were safe. Likewise, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever, whosoever looks and says, when Christ died upon the cross, he was a lamb of God that was slain for me. His blood was shed and all of my hope for my salvation is not in myself, is not in my good works. It is only in the precious blood of Christ that was shed so that he took my sin upon himself, just as that innocent lamb was the one in which took the punishment as that lamb was killed and the blood was put on the doorpost. Likewise, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, his blood was shed and, and, and all the wrath that I could have ever deserved was placed upon him. It wasn't, it's not going to be placed upon me because, because he took it. And the blood of bulls and goats will never satisfy, but the precious blood of Christ makes it so that it's finished. There's no need for any sacrifice ever again because God himself sent his son and his son fulfilled all righteousness and his son was such that he was able to take the payment and make the payment 
redeem us with a payment that we could never pay because it's his precious blood, the blood of Christ, that saves us. And when you look at every one of those homes, those guys weren't in there going, hey, we're okay because we're wealthy. Or we're okay because we have a good education. Or we're okay because we keep the law. Or we're okay because we got more good stuff in our life than we have bad stuff. Or we're okay because we go to the synagogue all the time. Or we're okay because we've been nice to each other. We're okay because we try to be good people. None of that mattered in those households. You could be as nice as possible. You could have gone to synagogue every single day. You could have been someone who was wealthy, or you could have been something, someone that had nothing and just impoverished yourself and just lived off the, the, the littlest things. You could have been someone that helped people all day long. It didn't matter. All that mattered was there was blood on the doorpost. That was all that mattered, was that there was blood on those doorposts. God wasn't looking for anything else other than the blood on the doorpost. When I see the blood, when I see the blood, I'll pass over those houses. Likewise, for us, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're here and you're saying, well, I do everything right. I try to do, I'm a good person. I do everything right. I try not to lie. I try not to cheat. I'm faithful. I do everything. That doesn't matter. Your, your righteousness is as filthy rags in God's sight. All that matters is that you've appropriated what God has said, and it is by faith in the work of Christ and his shed blood that you're saved. It's in the blood of Christ that you're saved. It's not based on how our house is kept. It's based on our faith in Christ. And so we look and we see it as his precious blood was shed so that we could be forgiven. And he sees the blood over us, the precious blood of Christ that has covered us, the spotless lamb who sacrificed for us. So that we look and we say, our salvation, all of it is in him. He died for us. He was crucified for us. My hope and my faith is in him. And when he sees the blood, I will be redeemed and there'll be no wrath. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ because we're found in him. The price has been paid. All of it's fulfilled and I'm okay. And it's not because of us. It's because of him. And this is the gospel. And we look at this and, oh, as God's people, may we see Exodus and see the wrath of a holy and all-powerful God and see the grace of God to allow there to be a substitution in which there could be shed blood from an innocent lamb that was without spot and without blemish. And may that point us to Christ, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world in his blood being shed for us. And may we be a people who read something like 1 Peter chapter 1, and we look at this and say, It is with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot that we are redeemed. The very precious blood of Christ. He indeed was foreordained before the foundations of the world. Foreordained before he created anything that the precious lamb of God would die upon that cross. And rise again three days later. And whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we will be with him for all eternity. And when we are there, we will all look back to the precious blood of Christ in which has redeemed us. It is him. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. You through him, who, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory 
so that your faith and your hope are in God. Glory of the gospel. May we, may we find Christ's blood on this morning to be precious. And may we respond with just incredible praise, heartfelt praise. And may we go forth from this place worshiping him throughout the entirety of this week, proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the good news from day to day. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. May we not may we not look at the Passover and question your goodness because the firstborn were killed. May we just bask in your goodness and that you passed over the homes in which blood had been placed upon the doorpost to point us ahead to you redeeming us with the precious blood of Christ and passing over all of our sins because they were nailed to the cross when you died and you gave us your righteousness on that exact day in which we had been prophesied, Lord. We just praise you for that, God. We praise you for the fact that before you ever created anything, you determined to do this, to make for yourself a people and to make your glory known to the entirety of this universe that you are a God that is full of grace and full of mercy. And at the same time, it's a holy God who judges sin but makes a way by the kindness of your regenerating Holy Spirit to cause the gospel to come forward and our eyes to be opened so that we here on this morning, we say that our only hope in this life is Christ and Him crucified. His precious blood that was shed, the blood of the spotless lamb that did not have any blemish so that we could be spared and spend eternity as the bride of Christ, as your family, that we might enter into the joy of the Lord and have an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and it doesn't fade away, an inheritance that's reserved for us in heaven, an inheritance in which oh, it's just glorious, no more sin, no more pain, eternity with you, in which we adore you for saving us, your people. And may that adoration be heartfelt this morning as we sing the last few songs to you in praise. And may our love for the gospel go forward through our lives to give us boldness in the proclamation of the best news that anybody could ever hear. 
I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody in our congregation this morning who is yet to believe upon you and place all of their hope in the precious blood of Christ that has been poured out for them, that it would be on this morning in which your Holy Spirit meets them in this place, and that today would be the day of salvation for them in which all of their hope and all of their faith would not be on what goes on in their home, but on the blood that has been spilled for them. And may today be the day in which you save them for all eternity. Oh, how good it is to be found in the loving arms of our King and of our Savior. And what a fearful thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God. May today be the day where there's not one person that leaves our congregation without having the assurance that their sins are removed based upon their hope in Christ. It's with this that we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.